<laughs> I would, I would at the playground in primary school. I would, um, like just, I would go through like, like just multiplying things by two, like just like doubling. I'd just see how far I could double things, right. or like I'd do times tables, <laughs> and like power tables, like instead of playing oh with my kids. God. <laughs> I can't think of any more human activity than conducting science experiments. The game I play is a very interesting one. It's imagination in a tight straitjacket. The beauty of a living thing is not the atoms that go into it, but the way those atoms are put together. What I always think should be the basis of education is not answers, but questions. We should teach kids how to question. No one, no one wants to do the research I'm doing. So. <laughs> Why? <laughs> if people, and if people did, then that's good. Like, I'd love it if if people think, oh, that's a good idea. I'll steal that. Yeah. Then good on them. You know, I'll still do the PhD. Doesn't nice. maybe have more people to collaborate with. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good attitude to have towards it. Then. <laughs> oh, it's easy. There's no money in it. So. <laughs> Man, there's no money in science. <laughs> Not science and music. Yeah. This exactly change. right. Yeah. I have like two nieces and two nephews my little niece i'm getting her like science books you know the osborne um science books they're like i don't know them you open them up like they have like flaps that you can open oh cool like the human body oh i missed out that sounds awesome dude that's the shit right yeah but part of me like i want her to get interested in this but part of me recognizes that like a life in science (laughs) is like a beggar's life (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know what i mean you have to like ask for grants try to get money yeah um when I was, because I did a double degree science and, and music, um, and most people did like a fun one and then like a serious one. So people were like, oh, so are you doing a science degree so you can get a job? And I was like, no. <laughs> They're like, then how are you going to get a job? Like, oh, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'm just doing degrees for fun. Dude, <laughs> dude that's, tell me about it. I had a, I had a guest on a few episodes back, John. He did a double degree. This is in America, right? Yeah. Their system's a little up to be honest <laughs> yeah because um if you claim bankruptcy they'll forgive all your debts except your student loans so yeah. that's how screwed it is so he did a, a degree in german uh, in german and a degree in music so mm. he finished with a double degree and couldn't find a job because yeah. it was around 2008 yeah so that's when the financial crisis happened and he was like man what the fuck do i do yeah you know he yeah. joined the army well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's a fallback. I mean, and it's good. It's good that it's there. Yeah. Like people, like it gives a lot of people purpose. Like they, you know, don't know what to do. They need, you know, something to live by. Mm. Um, you know, some people come out of high school even just like got no idea what to do. Like, 
or join the army and it shouldn't it should yeah it's it's a good thing to have because yeah. then it, it really it really does give you structure mm. and and something to work for, for then sure. you can then you can move out of that if you need to yeah or stay if you like it yeah i think yeah definitely i mean <clears throat> especially when you're coming out of high school i almost feel like like you should do like a two-year mandatory uh like you should serve for the army even if you don't have to go overseas I mean, they do that in other countries and I I don't know. I wouldn't agree, but but I'll let you I'll let you finish. Like. Yeah, I I know <laughs> there's definitely caveats in there, um, but I feel like it can give um, it can give especially young men a lot of like discipline and focus, which is something that we we lack a lot. I think also yeah. is w- when you go through the army, and I have a friend and and John as well who I interviewed. There's a lot of difficult shit that you have to do. Yeah, you know, and and you just learn to do it. You you, you don't complain. You can't because you can't because you got a drill sergeant yelling at you. You know what I mean? And you have to push yourself. Yeah. Um, and you push yourself beyond what you thought was capable. And I think that those sort of qualities are important, especially when you get humbled. I think we yeah, don't yeah. get humbled enough, man. Over here we have like keyboard warriors on the internet. Oh well, yeah, that's true. Do you know, I think it's just people who haven't been tested, haven't been humbled enough. Yeah. And th- they don't have enough dis- self-discipline and focus to focus on improving their life, so they they start doing like shitty things. If you put every kid that came out of high school in the two-year mandatory training boot camp, I know <laughs> that's scary, but still, man, I think we'd have a different society, to be honest. Oh, uh, you know, I'd agree with that. We'd have a different society. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I follow that. I mean, yeah, like I didn't do two years. I went on a four-week boot camp. Um, they tried to, and they, they, they really, they, they beat you down, not literally or physically anymore. Um, no, they don't do that. Um, they, you know, into nothing, and then they build you back up as a soldier. That's kind of like mm. what it's meant to be. Mm. Um, but I resisted um, because I, you know, I was just doing it because I had to. Um, made sure I didn't lose my humanity because people do they lose themselves mm. they become you know that's and that's the point and that's kind of like i i'm like i don't know if everyone needs this mm. like and then you know i didn't change um going through the process maybe other people did it's probably good for some people mm. and people i know who've done the mandatory training in other countries mm-hmm. all it's done for them is is just wasted two to three years of their lives where they could have been Greece. studying they yeah. could have been getting ahead and that's a big distraction like if you're building momentum through high school, mm. so if you're lost, I like that you can do it, but I don't know if I would agree that like you should. everyone should. But then, yeah. but then I get what you're saying. Like it, you know, it does build a lot of skills. Like I did learn a lot just from the four weeks. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched that? Um, there's a show I think it was on Netflix. It's called Two Weeks of Hell. Yeah, I haven't seen it. No. Oh, bro, it is the most intense shit. I think it's like special ops in America. So about, I don't know, 100, 200 people apply or 400 people apply, I don't know, some large number of people. Yeah. And they put them through, like, it is an incredible, it, it is the most difficult shit. I felt like throwing up just watching yeah. what they were doing. Um, <clears throat> they were, like, doing a series of exercises. There was one where they had to carry, like, a, a log and they had to go left right left yeah. right on their shoulder and do that for hours and then they had to roll and do like all these crazy moves and and obviously f- fatigue kicks in yeah, yeah your body gives up people get injured and you feel like thro- 
I've I've pushed myself to the point where I just feel like throwing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good. D- yeah, dude, that's fun. Yeah. The euphoria that you get after like the post vomit, oh, yeah. post vomit euphoria is it's it's totally worth it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just crazy because I saw. Like they had this rule that if you throw up in the pit, you can't live it there. So you have to pick it up and put it in your pocket and keep going. Yeah. Or you have to yeah. throw out outside sense. and come back. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, man, these guys have to go to. It's just the most grueling shit. Well, they have. I mean, they get worse than that. Like, um, with the SAS, like Special Air Towing Services in Australia, they're intense. Like they, they do. Um, uh, like lack of sleep, lack of food training. Mm. So they get like maybe one hour's sleep a day or no sleep. I think it's no sleep for a week and they get like one like tin per day to eat or something like that. Fuck. And they're doing that sort of shit. Fuck. And it's just like, I look at that and I'm like, it's like, it's because they're going to go into the SAS. Yeah. Like they need to be able to deal with just the most horrible shit ever. But yeah. just like, that's just, and I remember one guy, because you know, this is one of the things like I learned from the train, like you hear from people who've done the real stuff. And then um, one guy, he was like the the padre and he was ta- he was an ex-SAS soldier. And he was saying um, someone else ate his can of food one day. Right. And what happened? He, well, yeah, he was going to kill him. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Like he wasn't, but like, can you imagine that? Oh, like yeah. you've had no sleep for like five days. And you're just starving all the time and you're overworked and you find out that some dickhead ate your can of, ate your, ate your can of food for the day. Fuck. Dude, <laughs> I don't had, know what I'll do. He had to man. get held back by like everyone. Oh, shit. God damn it. Man, yeah, that, that would suck. But as you said, they have to go through those. It's like a, if you don't, you have to filter out people who, who aren't going to be able to yeah. survive in, in extreme conditions. Yeah, because that's, that's the job. That's the job. Which is crazy, yeah. <laughs> Fuck, man. That's, yeah, definitely not made. I'm not made for that. Um, give me books, man. I'll know that. Actually, yeah, d- uh, job, um, you know, career in science, much easier than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much easier. Dude. Way easier, <laughs> shit. Very yeah. different. <laughs> so let's talk about, like you said, you did music and a science degree. Yeah. What type of science degree? I did um, majors in physics and applied maths. Oh, shit. So not what I'm doing now, but what I was interested in. I was interested in how everything worked and just maths in general. Like, I like maths. Physics for me was like explaining how the world works. Obviously, other sciences do as well. I was always interested in other sciences, but that's what I wanted to do and then I love music. So I just studied what I liked best through university instead of like what would give me a job or something. Yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I was always fascinated in, with physics, but maths wasn't a strong suit. Yeah. So, um, but I geek out on like physics documentaries. I'm reading a book. Have you read um, The Greatest Story Ever Told by Lawrence Krauss? No, I haven't read that one. Oh, dude, it is oh, the shit. Okay. It's so good. Um, but yeah, I always lacked the maths, and I think that kind of stopped me from getting into physics. But mm, you did it's f- very maths. Yeah, it's very yeah. maths heavy, man. You got to like, because the language of the universe is maths. Yeah, yeah. You know? So if you're going to describe nature, the most precise and accurate way you can do it yeah. is through mathematics. It's not through words. Yeah. And in the phys- in my physics degree, we would use maths that we would learn the following year or semester in in my applied maths major. It's like we didn't like we just you just use it in physics, and then like what is this math? You know, and then you learn it later in maths if you're doing maths. So right. like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, um, in high school, did you do? Obviously, you must have done physics. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I did, yeah, physics, um, maths. I did the the old course. Well, not old, but like the the like the courses now. I did the ones before that. So how, how I didn't do like maths t- what two a to whatever. Uh, like calculus and um and oh, the other thing. <laughs> Basically, it's like two. It's cool, like two maths, two science. Yeah. So like physics, chemistry, maths, and hard maths. You know, and then um and then I did English literature and music. Okay. Because I was you know arty or whatever as yeah. well. No, that's cool. You have a nice balance between art and science. That's the idea. Yeah. yeah. So how did you 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 finish your um, bachelor's in science slash music? Yeah. How did you decide to do what you wanted to do next? Like, did you have a direction already? Did you have a goal in kind mind? Kind of. I had a goal. I had a goal. Um, like my research I'm doing now, I kind of started that during high school, as like a hobby, kind of like just in self interest. Mm. Like, cause I I would um, you know, look up maths things before that, um, and I do maths outside of school. So was that sort of guy. Such um, a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> no one talks That's, like this, man. <laughs> I would, I would at the playground in primary school. I would, um, like, just I would go through like, like, just multiplying things by two, like, just like doubling. I'd just see how far I could double things, right. or like, I'd do times tables <laughs> and like power tables, like instead of playing oh with kids. <laughs> So I like I always liked maths. Um, and what are we talking about again? <laughs> I'm just getting, I'm just getting me- memories of, of my days. Dude, I love it. It seems like you're just a nerd. I was just a nerd. I, w- I want to answer the question though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you started. The, you had this interest, this hobby ever since high school. All right. Yeah, my research now. Yeah, how do I get from the? Yeah, do I have a goal? Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then I kind of learned that like you can, and I then I fell in love with music. Um, after science actually and then that just got in the way I couldn't really? do anything else um, but then I found out that you can describe music using maths and I was like oh this is the shit like <laughs> it's like because I lo- like I hear it and I play I love music but then I can I can like nerd out on the maths of it right. um, and so like in, in year 9 like we got taught about like the harmonic series in our music class uh-huh. and I was like oh that's numbers like I can this is awesome. I didn't know that. And so from then I just read all the Wikipedia articles and then, and then I discovered, um, all of this speculative music theory, mathematical music theory and microtonal music and that sort of weird stuff, like weird music theory stuff, um, within the next year. Um, and then I've just started working at that throughout, you know, just distracting me from my actual studies. Mm. Um, and then I get just getting to the end of my bachelor's is like, I need to just study this. Like I can't do anything else. Right. Like I'm hardly getting through all my units. Like I, I'm not doing that well in my physics and maths majors anymore because like I, like I want to do it, but I'm just spending all of my time doing this thing. And I, so I'd, once I'd finished my music degree, I still hadn't finished my science and maths degrees and I wasn't getting enough practice done. And then I thought, you know what? I don't want to do a recital because I won't do that well i'm going to write a, a, an honors dissertation which not many people did mm. people did as recital and then wrote a little bit mm. but there was an option to do musicology instead of music and i was like no i'm going to write about this stuff that mm. i've been thinking about for mm. the last by that stage you know eight years right. eight years yeah eight years right and then that led to the the phd ultimately right before we get into that so you mentioned how math uh, is intertwined with music. Can yeah. you just elaborate on that? Yeah, love to, sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's... Well, firstly, like, maths... You described before, maths is the language of the universe. Like, 
Um, maths, you know, itself isn't a science, but it, it's what we can use to, at the core level, describe how everything works. So that applies to music. Um, maths, for, I mean, music, like the stuff I'm studying, it's kind of like maths that I can hear. So like I play with the numbers and then I directly like hear the result, which is awesome. So the way that works, I mean, anything, any musical instrument or any musical sound you're hearing, it's an object that's vibrating at a particular frequency. And then you get the um, rarefractions and the other things. I've been a while since I'm busy. <laughs> I know what they're called, but I forgot. Um, in the, you know, the airways and then your, you know, the, your inner ear kind of picks that up and then it resolves the different frequencies and then your brain interprets it. Um, and so that's all numbers. And then like one thing I'm really interested in is in like, you know, like if you're playing an instrument, you do scales practice and you do, you learn your theory, but that's all maths as well. Like chords are maths. Like chords are different frequency ratios that have a special relationship to each other. And it's all related to the harmonic series, which is like, and when an object vibrates at its like fundamental frequency, then half of the object also vibrates. And then a third of the object also vibrates and you get, the, uh, you know, a note that's a certain interval above that and a certain interval above that. You may make that to build chords, you make scales that get those chords, and then then eventually, you know, some other maths happens and you get led to, like, the keyboard. Mm. And then I'd look at the keyboard and be like, why are there 12 notes? Why are seven of them white? Why are five of them black? Mm. Everyone else kind of just accepted that that was what music was. But that's yeah. defined by a particular optimization of mathematical... And physical sort of things optimized by mathematical processes. Right. Can, can you just explain what a harmonic series is? Because for the for the people who don't have like a music background, mm. it can be really tricky. Yeah, I'll go over that again. So, um, yeah. So physically, object vibrates. The whole object vibrates. Right. Half the object vibrates. A third, a quarter. So, so if a you fifth. give if you give like an example of it on the keyboard or even the guitar string. <coughs> yeah. So a guitar string is probably a good one. So the whole string. Yes, yeah, so you pluck a guitar string. Um, that's probably like the lowest string on the guitar and you pluck it. And then if you, like, if you put your finger halfway, then you stop the whole string vibrating and then you make, you make the, the half, only the half string vibrate, which was going to happen anyway. If you touch it lightly, that's when you're playing harmonics on a guitar. Okay. Um, and if he goes like, do, do, doubles the frequency. Okay. You hear that as kind of the same note because it's a really simple ratio. So that's the first harmonic. And then after that, if you lightly touch the string one third of the way, then then you're making you're stopping it because it's an anti-node in the whole string. As uh -huh. in the whole string is moving at that bit. You're stopping it from moving by putting your finger there. You're stopping half of it moving by putting your finger at this bit that isn't like the end of it. Uh -huh. But you're at an anti-node for one third because it's like it stops vibrating there, and you get and then you go up this thing that's called the harmonic series basically because right. it's like a whole number rate whole number of multiples of the ratio signs vibrating which are directly related to fractions of the length of the object or the length of the string right that's vibrating so these notes that like so you have a, a fundamental note um but that fundamental note has all the other notes of the harmonic yeah into right it, right so yeah you're asking all the right questions because you because you know when i'm skipping things that's good um so um, yeah, so all of this, all of these notes are in, like that all happen. Like the object vibrates, half the object vibrates, um, but you can isolate them by, like I said, by kind of stopping things. But yeah, like so, the sound of an instrument is, you know, you can have two instruments playing the same note, but they sound different because you have different 
amplitudes of those different harmonics in the sound. So like every object, you know, like parts of it also vibrate when the whole thing does mm. at different like amplitudes depending on what the object is. And so, that so so when you play a guitar and you ring a string, there's p- certain parts of that harmonic are more accentuated. They they are more obvious than other parts. And if you yeah. go a, a, if you go like halfway on the string and you pluck it there lightly, then that note specifically shines more than the others. In well, yeah, you effectively um, mute the the, rest. the other ones from, okay. from from happening by because you're you're you're, you're literally um, stopping. The string because if you touch the string you stop it from vibrating at that point right um but you're not pressing it down so that you're making like you're changing the length of the string right um but yeah so it's basically that but um but then you can do a similar thing like with your with your voice like people everyone sounds different uh-huh. they have their own voices because of the way their vocal tract is shaped right and then the way we speak with different vowels is that we move our vocal tract and whatever, so we resonate at these different harmonics that are based off of our like um, fundamental tone. Okay. Otherwise, everyone would just sound like a robot, and everyone would sound the same. And you, and well, you wouldn't be able to speak. Yeah, it's like you you change the ob the thing that it's vibrating in, so that you resonate different like harmonics of the actual sound. So I've I, I've confused that a little bit, unfortunately. Sorry, because I've added in the object that's vibrating in and resonance. Your vocal cords do the same thing every time. So it's like if you put a guitar in a different room, it's going to sound different right. as okay. well. Uh, okay, so it's it's like that. Yeah, with with the voice, I remember working with Dr. Chris Carrigman. I think that's, I think that's how you pronounce yeah, his last name. Yeah, that right? is. Most people get it wrong, but oh, that's, that's correct. I've never heard his last name pronounced. Oh. See, all, all it takes is to read it. Like, he was complaining about this. He was like, it's not hard. It's, you know, you just carry Nan. Yeah. You just read it. But people call, like, Carrigan or Canigan <laughs> or, like, because they just don't actually, like, read all the letters. Dude. Like, <laughs> Dude, everybody messes up my name, man. Like, they, my name is Hamid, right? But I get called Hamid, like, <laughs> right? Hamid. 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 I've been called Hamid. Hamid. <laughs> like, come on, man. How hard is it? Um, yeah, Australians are really bad yeah. at pronouncing. That's all right. It's names from other. It's not yeah. even. It's like two syllables. Hamid, right? But nonetheless, uh, mid. Yeah, it's that's very, it. Yeah. yeah, Gareth got it. I get it. Yeah, he gets <laughs> it. <laughs> but uh, with him, he was. Um, I yeah, we learned that like you, you have, you know, the fundamental frequency which is produced by your voice a uh, voice box, right? And then you you manipulate your vocal tract to change the form and frequency. Yeah. So which parts, so you have the fundamental frequency which has all these other harmonics or formants or, or other frequencies that are in it, but your the manipulation of your vocal track and how you resonate that 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 um, the, your voice is what makes different parts come out. And so different vowels would have different form and frequencies form and that yeah. are associated with it. It's just like different, like uh, each person has their fingerprint, a vowel would also have its own form and f- fingerprints which yeah. would indicate that it's this vowel yeah and so then to connect it if i can to what i was trying to say then even every speaker they can be using the same formats the same frequency but they still sound different why and that's because of the you know their vocal tracks aren't exactly the same so there are there are like there are five formants well uh, five formant groups mm-hmm. two of them are the vowels and the other ones are like just 
noise. They're just, you know, part of the timbre right. of your voice. Okay. And it depends on just what shape you are. Right. And it's just going to sound different because of different resonances that aren't necessarily those two right. main formants. And the size of your vocal cords themselves as okay. well. That's interesting. So the first two formants are typically used to identify vowels, yeah. right? And the F3 to F5, so formant 3 to 5, is just the timbre. So... Um, just like a guitar versus a piano would have different timbre, so different quality to the sound. Is that what you're saying? That is, that is what I'm saying. It's it's probably not entirely correct. Um, uh, and and my knowledge on that topic doesn't go much further than that. Um, just that there are other formants, and a formant is just a particular kind of peak at which things can resonate. Um, but there's resonances throughout. Um, there's a one of the upper formants is called the singer's formant. Mm. So if you're that. if you're a trained singer, yeah. um, then as well as the different vowels, then you just get this this high pitched sort of sound that contributes to like the richness of your voice, and that's how opera singers can be heard over orchestras, because like no, the orchestra doesn't play in that frequency range of that singer's formant. Right. So like, yeah, if you, I, I don't want to. I'm not that can good a singer. Can you give us an example? Like, give us. Like, what would it sound like? Just <clears throat> mindful of, of... Okay, I, I'll try. Like, cut yeah. it out if I can't do it because I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually somewhat untrained as a singer. Um, but, I mean, I'll go through the, the other formants as well. Yeah. So, like, if you're... Um, so, the lowest formant is... I think of it as, like, just, like, how wide open your mouth is. So, if I just go... You can kind of hear... Maybe. It's pretty light. But that's the lowest formant, which I'm kind of trying to do like harmonic singing, like isolated. And then, and then, so that brings like the U and E, your mouth's closed. So they're lowest on that formant. And then the R is the highest one. Um, and so that's, f- that's formant one. Uh, the second formant, I think of it as like going from like an U to an E. It's like how far your tongue is forward is maybe one way you control it. So like, So you might be able to hear the um, as well as just some other noise. And then this high-pitched kind of thing is that singer's formant. So before you get to that, so the first one you demonstrated, you essentially uh, controlled how much space was in your in your in your uh, in your mouth, right? So yeah. you're opening it yeah. up. In the second one, you're moving your tongue back and forth to influence that yeah. movement, right? So this one's up and down movement. This one. Yeah, and you can back. draw that on like a two-dimensional kind of map as well. Like it basically the vowel chart. Mm. If you look up like the vowel chart, um, then that's that's kind of how it's drawn. Mm. Um, and they they draw um, at the the like up vertical direction. Mm-hmm. It's at the top is the the um, the low first formant and then so it's like an oo going to an r and then left to right it goes as you go to the right it goes from um no they've done it in reverse it goes from a high second formant to a low second formant as you go left to right and as you go up and down so that yeah so it is you can think of it as like a two-dimensional kind of surface okay in that way which is kind of interesting mathematics of, of sound <laughs> there again of course. so what was, what was next right so then um I've never tried to demonstrate the singer's font before, but if I try to sing badly, um, which I used to be really good at, <laughs> um, <coughs> like if I just go, uh, 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 I'm kind of just kind of just the fundamental. Uh, 
you can just hear bah, you can't hear anything else. But if I I'll try to do this properly. <laughs> There's like like not a good demonstration, but there's a lot of other high pitched more high pitched frequencies in that. There's the vowel, the formants in the vowel, and then there's just this like like high stuff. But if you listen to any sort of opera singer, um then, then you can hear that much better yeah. than myself because I'm hear not that very ringing, trained. Yeah. It's a ringing, yeah. yeah. So what are you doing different? Into, what, what what are you doing different? So what I'm trying to do different, and I'm just learning this at the moment, um, is trying to basically getting rid of any any tension in any part of um, your neck or your tongue or your voice because if you if you tense your muscles, then they become a hard surface and it deadens the possible resonances. Oh. I think, <laughs> okay. um, or they get in the way. The other thing is that they get in, they literally change, you know, they, they're stuck like in the way of allowing the vocal track to resonate, right. um, at the, at the singer's foreman. Huh. So I'm still kind of figuring all that out and that's yeah. not, not my topic, but I, yeah, I do, you know, I do also sing. So that's, you know, and then, yeah, so that's something I'm always working on. Um, okay. yeah, that's interesting. But I have, I have mu- music, like musical friends and whenever I, like I have, friends who can obviously sing but yeah. I'm always just like I don't know when, when I see them I'm like you guys are magicians because I have the same vocal track similar vocal track but <laughs> yeah. you can do some magic with yours you know so uh, so yeah I mean it's it's um, I mean everyone can I mean, everyone has the ability to learn yeah but and it, it's just it's just training and it's I mean it's not just training um, it's it's like having something you want to do with your voice, having a sound that you want to get and then practicing until you can kind of achieve that. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it's practice, but it's, um, you know, I watched a presentation a few weeks ago like talking about um, musical prodigy, or musical um, skill, basically, skill mm. development. There's a, a, talking about prodigies, how like it's not just 10,000 hours practice according to this. Theory. They say 10,000 hours practice and then you'll be an expert. Mm. But like if you just repeat the same mistakes for 10,000 hours, you're not going to get any better. <laughs> That's right. Um, so if, if you want to, you know, if s- people who have an aptitude of music, they re- they hear a sound or they think of a sound, they want to make that sound mm. and that guides the practice. That's where the passion goes to behind wanting to do that. So everyone has the ability, but not everyone has the drive to waste so many hours <laughs> um, with no prospects of money right. <laughs> necessarily, you know, to do that because yeah, they yeah. just want to make that sound. Yeah. Um, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah. don't, I mean, do have fun doing it, but like, you know, don't, I was going to say don't waste your time, but no, <laughs> but it, it, music is, is beneficial to everyone and yeah. everyone should, should aim for, if, if they, if they like to then be involved as much as you can. A lot of research showing it's just good in general. Yeah, for sure, man. One of the reasons why I got into playing a guitar was that in my first year in the MRES, I found out, actually did a cognitive science as in the, Yeah, okay. So my background is biochemistry and molecular biology. Cool. I'm a weirdo. I like like weird shit, different shit, and I thought cognitive science is going to be fascinating. Yeah. And I did a research project with... The, well, no, I had to do a wiki encyclopedia uh, entry, Stanford encyclopedia entry or something. I had, and my topic was um, music and abating cognitive decline. So Oh, yeah. yeah. Was that Jenny taking that? have no idea oh because um yeah anyway there's yeah yeah a lot of a lot of good good research and yeah. that sort of stuff yeah and i remember reading it i'm like oh shit this is like linked to a lot of cool shit like there's obviously it 
it can um, lower your chances of uh, developing neurodegenerative disorders, yeah. also hearing loss. Um, but it's just neuroplasticity and keeping your brain plastic yeah, yeah. And, and malleable. And I thought, well, of course I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's just good, yeah. Yeah, like that, that's very... And I think as a, as a person, it's very important to be well-rounded and to learn as many different things, which means that you're pushing your brain yeah. to be flexible in all sorts of areas, which I think in the long run is really good for creativity. Mm, definitely. And there's, the benefits go further than that as well. There's also uh, mental health and social benefits of of music involvement as well as the cognitive mm. benefits it can you know you it gives you a community um of, of people who are you know also interested in music and then through saying i'm going to learn this instrument and then learning it then you know you've you've set out this goal you've achieved this goal of course you can do that elsewhere but mm. you know there's i like to say that the possible benefits of music involvement are kind of unlimited mm. like it's it, it really can encapsulate any sort of any sort of improvement, any sort of, yeah, benefit. Yeah, for sure. I believe it. So tell me what you did in your honours. So my honours um, was in, what is it, a method for the composition in microtonal music or something like that. Um, basically, I talked about how this particular mathematical optimization of, you know, of like natural frequency things that was so badly called <laughs> Qu- quite that yeah <laughs> that's gonna be the, the opening for this episode yeah yeah that's the, natural... the, the label for the episode gareth talks about the <laughs> naturally natural frequency, frequency things, things. <laughs> right, right. that's it um so <clears throat> yes we talked about like the harmonic series objects vibrating naturally these ratios your ear is used to kind of hearing because that's how objects work and it's pleasant as well it's easier to to grok like if it's exact ratios you know what's going on um it's and, and you get this this pleasance and so you want music to sound pleasant some of the time so you want these things to be available so there's a particular optimization of that which leads to the tuning system that we have which is what everyone takes for granted it's where all the frets are on your guitar there there's 12 of them to an octave which is a duh, duh, which sounds like the same note um and they're equally spaced in terms of linear pitch I won't go into that much detail with like how that works or why, because mm. that's a that can take ages to, right. and I, I love to talk about it. But anyway, um, so that's not the only option. That's not the only way to optimize it. That's not the only things to optimize. Um, so it's not the you mean the ratios. So you yeah you can you can use different parts of the harmonic series. Um, you can forget about the harmonic series as well, which is which I don't like to do that Mm. um so that's not what my research was in but you can look at the harmonic series and you can look somewhere else and you can say instead of this being really important the the um three to two ratio being super important that's not as important but i also want to look at the seven to four ratio or the 11 you know to whatever 11 to 4 11 to 8 ratio basically the 11th harmonic the seventh harmonic as well as the the third and the fifth and then you get you, you don't get the same system. You don't get 12 notes in an octave. You don't get a scale with seven mm. notes necessarily. Um, and that's just one thing to do. So I was interested in music that sounded different and um, you know, I was interested in, in a different sound, in different harmony. Like mm. that was what my interest in as a musician. Um, and then mathematically, you can, you can get to that through different optimizations of different parts of the harmonic series. Um, so my honors project was 
and that's called microtonal music, by the way. If, if it's got notes that are basically between the cracks of the piano, because I did something different, I got led to a different set of notes, a different scale, a different tuning system, it's called, um, then... Before you go on, yeah. so, so like, um, I think um, Arabic music has that's right, different yeah. notes, right? So it may even be between the, the, the white and black notes that yeah. we have on the, on the piano. So we don't have access to those notes with the instruments that we might have here. No, and that's... And there's a and that's a huge thing. I mean, we you know we know about the the West sort of you know trying to take over the world. <laughs> that 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 all that all chestnut. Um, so you know Arabic, you know um, the Eastern countries had this rich you know musical history, as did a lot of other countries that were at one stage. You know the West came to and said we are superior, do things our way. Um, and and they and and actually the music of the East leads back to the ancient Greek philosophers more closely than does the music of the West these days. How so? Um, well, so the ancient Greek philosophers, they they, f- um, I mean, we, we talk about Pythagoras. You know, he's the guy with the Pythagorean sort of thing with maths that I've also forgotten the name of. The triangle thing. The triangle thing. I was going <laughs> to say the triangle thing, but it didn't sound any better than Pythagorean, f- you know, formula or whatever theory. I did a maths degree. Um, <laughs> Uh, a few years back. Um, <coughs> so Pythagoras also kind of realized that if you vibrate, you know, an object at like one third, then it sounds an octave and a perfect fifth above the pitch. He kind of figured out that start of the relationship between the string divisions and the harmonic series. Oh. And the story was he was like hitting anvils or whatever at what different anvils? pitches. Our anvils like this a big piece of metal. Okay. You, they use it in like metal making in you know medieval times or something. I don't know, um, <laughs> but they still use them in in modern music today. You can hit anvils and they just make a ding sound. It's just a big piece of metal that goes ding when you hit it. Mm. So he was hitting big pieces of metal. It was like, why are they different frequencies? Uh, that's the story. Mm. But I don't know if that story is true. But so then he was like the perfect fifth. This ratio of three on two, the da da, it's just the most perfect thing ever. And um, and then he had like a cult following. Really? Called the Pythagoreans. No. Yeah, yeah. Not just for that, but like as a philosopher, he basically had a cult following. Bruh. <laughs> this guy's living life. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it was, and there were obviously people against it, obviously, as well. And then. Did he end up banging everyone's wives? I don't know. Because that's what usually happens in cults. Is it? Yeah, dude. Oh. Some dude. Do you know David Koresh? No. Nah. Um, Waco? You heard of Waco? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah drinking the Kool-Aid. That's what he did, man. Oh, yeah. It always starts off with this guy claiming to be Jesus. Yeah. And then everybody gets convinced and then he slowly introduces laws where, okay, now I can sleep with everyone's wives, right? Mm. And then, oh, now it's kids and then, boom, they get killed at the end. Okay, yeah. That's... <laughs> so I wonder ma- if that happened with the Pythagoreans. Yeah, look, I bet he was banging everyone's wives. Man. Pyth- <laughs> Pythagoras, what a... What yeah. a oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, <coughs> so then there are other... And they had like lyres, which is like little mini harps, and they played um, this scale, and they had this thing called a tetrachord, and you have like a perfect fourth, which is da da, which is a ratio of four on three. They put notes in between, so like da 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 da, you know, or like da na na na, or da da na. I'm just gonna pick some random divisions there. Actually, I'll stop. Um, and so, but they, and then you picked they other other medieval philosophers picked ratios from elsewhere in the harmonic series to put in there. Um, and the, these are these other possible notes that the Pythagoreans didn't do because they weren't like based on fifths. Mm. This isn't a hundred percent true for anyone who knows this topic. I'm making things a little more simple than they are. Um, and 
than those other philosophers with these other intervals that were that were not like the Pythagorean thing. You can you can trace that into like to the chromatic scale on the piano. Mm. A little more complicated, but there's a connection there. The other ones don't fit on the piano, and then there are some Eastern um, philosophers after the ancient Greek philosophers mm. who came up with these other sort of intervals and everything as well, and then that eventually led to Eastern music. And then the West comes to the East, and they're like, we're superior, here's our music. And the East is like, oh, they must be superior. I'm not a historian. <laughs> they must be superior. So, like, you're, like, we need to play your music because it's got, like, harmony which is actually a particularly Western thing, harmonic tonality, which is what my PhD is on. But anyway, um, and then they were like, okay, well, I suppose let, let, let's get your system. And then if we like cut all the intervals in half, then we can kind of approximate our notes as well. Mm. Um, and so that's like the quarter tone system. Oh. And so like the West thought of the quarter tone system as well, but it was kind of, I think it was originally developed in the East and I think that was in the um, late 19th century whereas the West weren't really using it until, you know, the sort of modernist period in the early 20th century, um, I think apparently from, like, a book that I read. Right. Um, so there's the, the, there's the quarter tone system. Yeah. So that has 24 notes? Yeah, so it's just you divide every semitone in half and you have a quarter tone for, you know, and so, and actually um, uh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, have you heard of them? They're a Melbourne-based, like, prog rock band, I think, um, and they're... They did a whole microtonal album recently that, like, people are, like, buying into. Like, it's doing really well, and people are like, oh, this is cool, because it's just kind of different. I love that. Um, and they use, like, quarter tones, because it's like... And they use some kind of, like, Eastern-flavoured mm. kind of scales. Mm. But, um, yeah, so that's one way to do sort of microtonal music. You just cut everything else in half, and then you have 24. But I think that's so boring. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I mean, that's, like, that's not... It's For me, it's not a particularly good optimization of other things that I want. Like, it doesn't improve anything, any of the tuning deficiencies in the scale that we have. And it adds maybe one interval, but then... But it's... I see that as kind of a more historical and simple, like, practically simple solution. But it's not an elegant sort of mathematical optimization, and it's not weird enough, like, for for me, you know. Right. and I have to digress from the original question again. Uh, I forget what the original question was, matter. but I think we were talking about your honours, about optimization. Right, so my honours topic... Um, yeah, see, you do remember this. It's good. Yeah. Um, my honours topic... Been doing this for a while, Gareth, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and academics probably, you know, go on and on about everything and you have to sort of keep us on track. I'm not an academic. I'm just a PhD student. Oh, you be. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. Um, so my honours topic, um, I'm looking at these other optimizations i'm basically like I, i'm like okay so the major third um the ratio of five to four da, da, in um that's a little flat um in on the piano i started to notice it's like really sharp it's like it's out of tune like we kind of get used to it but it's just out of tune and i sing um like acapella music like um unaccompanied barbershop harmony um and that's a lot of that, like, you don't have instruments and you will tune things. And we do that in orchestras as well. If you're playing, like, I play in the wind section in orchestra, we'd make sure our major thirds were in tune. We'd flatten them because on the piano, they're just so dang sharp. Mm. So, I, and I'd, I'd just go sing or play in the auction, then I'd come back and I'd try to play piano and I'd be like, I can't do it, it's too sharp. Like, there has to be a better solution. And, of course, that's what people were saying as soon as equal temperament became a thing, um, you know, hundreds of years ago. 
there were people saying it's the major third is too sharp. There's all these other solutions. So, but too sharp, you mean it's just higher in frequency? Than oh yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yes, it's higher higher in frequency than it should be. So yeah, so sharp means in in music is when the frequency is a little higher. Yeah. Flat is when the frequency is a little lower. And those words, they kind of it describes the the feeling that you kind of get from it. Like mm. if something's a little high, it's like sharp, and then flat. I know they're words like that in music. You know, kind of metaphorical, kind of descriptors. Mm. Really interesting. But um, yeah, thanks for that. Um, so then. So why is it always sharp? Why is it always sharp? Because, because of the particular optimization. It's um. So on the piano, like every, there's like every semitone is like the same size, and every, every of every interval is the same size. Every um, of what interval? Every of every interval. So every, every two semitones is the same. You know, obviously, because it's just built on. It's one dimensional. Mm-hmm. You just have semitones. So the major third is four semitones. Um, it's, you know, one third of an octave, um, you know, cause every semitone is a 12th of an octave and you just have this linear system, but then frequency is exponential to the power two of pitch. So you have a, an approximation of these ratios from the harmonic series. And it just, it happens that if you divide an octave into 12 notes, uh-huh. then seven of them, which is a frequency of two to the power of seven or yeah, to the power of seven on 12 for maths people, that's like really, really close. It's a super good approximation yep. to three halves. Like it's really in tune. And that was the, that was Pythagoras's perfect fifth. You just lost me in the, in the last bit. Three halves? What do you mean three halves? So like um, in terms of frequency ratio. So like um, you go to the third harmonic and then you divide, you know, then you take it up an octave or like it's a, a like the one note is three halves the frequency of another note. Okay. That's how you get this perfect fifth that Pythagoras right, right. raved about. Okay. Uh, and that's super important. So this system we have is a really good approximation of that and an okay approximation it kind of happened to be. Of the other five notes. Of, um, well, of the next harmonic, the important one, this, this, this major third interval, which is a ratio of five on four approximately, which sounds, and it's the next thing that sounds pleasant to our ears. Right. After that, they become more complicated. Okay. So, so the system that we have now is optimized for uh, for a good number, but then it's approximating others. And and yeah, you mentioned before um, the the third. Forgive me. What was it? The yeah, I should be more clear. The um, major third. The major third yeah. was is slightly sharp because of this approximation. Yeah, because it's not. Um, yeah, I mean the uh, I. I've 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 skipped a bit like historically that's not exactly how it developed, um, but basically it's not as it's not seen as important, uh, in the in what they're trying to optimize this this interval of a ratio of three on two mm-hmm. they want to make a linear scale, such that that is really well approximated. Yep. And then this major third thing, this other important thing, yeah. ratio of five on four, they also want that to be kind of well approximated. Right. But it's not as important. Not, okay, so that's yeah, the system that we have. I see. Okay, I, I think I kind of got you now. Yeah. Okay, that made sense. Okay, so the system we have optimizes, uh, approximates certain things really well, other things that are deemed as not as important, not so well. Yeah. So in my honors, um, I was like, let's care a little less about that first one mm-hmm. and care more about these the other ones. One, okay. And then I picked, then I just picked a, a, a system that's different. Um, I chose 22 
steps to an octave rather than 12, mm-hmm. a little more complicated. Um, and then I was like, okay, now that I have that, how can I make like Bach style, like just not, not just Bach style, like Western style, um, what's called harmonic tonal music or basically music with chord progressions and like a, a home key, you know, like all pop music today, basically. And, and, um, all classical music, you know, it follows this sort of, this particular method, this, you know, which makes it really like Western music. I'm like, Mm. how can you do that? But with a different set of notes. So I Mm. picked these 22 notes and then I wrote about how you can, what scales you can use Mm. and what chords you can use and what chord progressions you can use, which are basically the building blocks of music as we know it in the West. Mm. And it's not that I'm not interested in music from, from other cultures. Obviously that's really important in getting to these other notes, but I really like harmony basically. Mm. So, and so I was using, saying, how can I get harmony um, using these other notes? And that's what I wrote about. And so these other notes, um, so what you're optimizing is that second bit and trying to better approximate that and still be able to create the music that we create in the West using the yeah. optimization. Of yeah, the so there's bit. that. And then I also, um, I also get approximation of the next two up as well. So um, there's, in terms of the, the harmonics that, add complexity to the system or like the next thing. So it's the, the octave, which is already there, the perfect fifth, um, the major third, that's where Western music stops. Perfect fifth, really well approximated, major third, not so well. So then my system um, was like, well, I mean, I didn't come up with 22 equal divisions of the octave, but my system was, um, let's, the fifth is still important, but not as much. That second one, the major third, we want that to be more in tune. But then also we want approximations of the next one up, the seven, because six is just twice three, so we already have that. And then 11 Mm. is the next prime number above that. So I also get approximations of those. So I see it as like way more possibilities. It really opens up possible sound world. Mm. You can write, you know, consonant or pleasant sounding music that's just so different to Mm. what we have today. Mm. Um, And there's way more possibilities for scales and... And, and these other things that are important in music because there's more notes. It's more complicated, but there's more possibility in it, and that's what I wrote about. Right. So do you have any of this music that you've made? Um, yeah, I've got a SoundCloud. Um, and Could it's we possibly play a plug. It? Oh, uh, you uh, want to play it? Yeah, yeah, yeah We, we sure. don't have to do it now, I mean, like, but in the post-edit, we'd like to yeah. add, uh, add Let's play it now. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, um, I've got a SoundCloud page where I have just a few of my experiments. I've written a lot more about it than I have written music in it. Um, I l- and I do like to write music and it's important to do that. Um, but I haven't had as much time for that. But I do have, um, yeah, some examples of experiments I've done on my SoundCloud page. Some, unfortunately, are not recorded, some songs that I've written. Um, and then along with those examples of SoundCloud, I have like a huge page of theoretical sort of description on there as well. Hey, nice, nice. Yeah. What type of instrument do you play? Do you use to actually? Yeah, now that's that's a really important thing because instruments are all built to the tuning system that we have. Well, not all. I mean, all Western instruments, apart from you know, like the voice, mm-hmm. is one thing. So I do sing, um, but then it's hard to sing these intervals between the cracks because right. it's hard to distinguish. Yeah, and you've got like, and you haven't practiced singing those and and you've got no you don't like other instruments you press a button and the right sound comes out Uh um pianos is actually pretty easy because you can just 
retune them with software, yeah. not acoustic pianos, but electric pianos. Mm. Um, so that's that's a lot of the stuff I do is is me playing on a on a keyboard. Um, I've also built some whistles, like tin whistles, like little Irish flute type things, um, and I built those with to play in these different scales. Mm. So one one or two of the recordings I'm playing. Um, yeah, a few of the recordings I'm playing these whistles. And a lot of stuff is just computer-generated, like I'm not even playing it. Right. Um, uh, actually, I did one piece where I actually got, um, I got people to sing. So I had uh, a quartet um, uh, singing totally microtonally, but the people I got to sing were also microtonal composers, musicians. Ah. So that was a an opportunity that I had because we had a, a you know, meet-up, yeah, basically yeah. a little a, a camp where we wrote music for each other and, That's really and cool. performed it. And guitars you can refret. Um, trombone, anything with a slide, you can kind of do it. Um, but in any case, there is a barrier, but it's possible. Right, right. Hmm. So how how did this? We have like ten minutes, and we gotta get through your PhD. Right? <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> shit! Shit! Indeed. Okay. Maybe yeah, ten minutes or so, fifteen minutes. Yeah. Tell us about your PhD. It- All right. Yeah, I'm mean, kind of leading there. So my honors, I wrote about how you could write this music. And then I wrote a piece and I demonstrated it. And then people were like, but does that work? That just sounds like normal music to me, but weird at bits. Mm. How do you know it's going to work? And then through, even through my honors, they were like, oh, you should maybe do an experiment. And I was like, an experiment? That's like psychology. I don't, I don't know that. I can't do, I can't do that. No, I'm, I'm just doing music theory. I don't know about this psychology thing. Mm. And so I just kind of left it. But then at the end of my honors, I was like, but we don't know if this works. Like I had to say it. I was like, so further research would require like testing, playing people microtonal music and seeing how they respond. Mm. Um, so I knew that that had to be done, but I didn't have the expertise to do it. Mm. Um, and then my supervisor, um, Dr. Andrew Milne, um, he was also a microtonal musician. He was on this this forum, this Facebook group. And he was like, hey, I'm looking for a PhD student to do um, microtonal music cognition. And I was like, that's what I need to do. I don't know how to do it, but you know how to do it, I assume. (laughs) So I was like, hey, I could do that. And then like not many other people were interested in it. Um, Yeah, so I applied and I, you know, I was just finishing my honors and then I applied and I got the position um, here at the Marx Institute. Um, And then, you know, so now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm basically, yeah, I'm testing how people respond to microtonal music. And the main question I'm trying to ask is like, can you communicate emotional meaning in microtonal music? Because mm. in music, you can communicate emotional meaning, you know, can make people, we, people can feel sad, mm. they can feel happy mm-hmm. through building of like tension and resolution is kind of how you do it. Is that based entirely on expectation? Do you have to have heard those notes before to get a feeling of tension and resolution? Mm. These are the questions I'm trying to ask with my PhD project. So I'm going from the ground up and I'm doing experiments using these other scales that I talked about already and then finding out which which notes, which intervals, which chords, whatever, are more tense and more resolved. Mm. And then from there, I'm going to build some music that follows these contours of tension resolution and then I'm going to test whether people can get a... Whether people, whether people feel or whether they get it, you know, whether it works, mm. whether you can actually still write music that people will... You can communicate through in notes people haven't heard before. And I think that'd be huge if that works because it means you can totally open up the possibilities for like writing music. Right, right. So yeah, that's my PhD project. Okay, that's a really nice summary. <laughs> that's probably the best that's one great. I've done. I think it helped. We had this like hour 
so like so I could like warm up to it. Yeah, just to set up. So you're testing whether people can like. So when you say tension and re- resolution, what do you mean by tension? Yeah. So, I mean, when I talked about those like nice sounding intervals, that's kind of like resolution because your your inner ear is like, oh, I get it. That's easy. It's not your brain's not working. Mm. Um. But then if you have this big like clash, like all this noise, mm. then you're like, oh, what that? What is that? Mm. And then if you move from this is exaggerating. If you move from like noise to this nice, pleasant sound, mm. then it's like, oh, what's going on? Oh, that's okay. nice. And so you get this response and that's right. building tension and then resolving. So uh, let me see if I understand. So it, um, like Alex was showing me that if you hit a C and a C sharp on the same octave, yeah. like they don't fit together. No, yeah. So that would be considered tension. Would that's it? right. And, and, and fit is another word I do use as okay, well. Cool. Yeah. And if they're on different octaves, then they feel more like, you can play them together. Yeah, it's still like, that's still like, they don't still sound great, but yeah, if you spread it out, then it sounds better. And the, the closeness of notes is, is one, you know, really simple sort of measure of, of um, dissonance, which leads to tension. So when they're really close, they're really, it's really dissonant. These notes are C and a C sharp, these notes are semitone apart. If you put them further apart, it's less dissonance, it's less tense. Okay, that makes sense. Good. Yeah. I learned some cool music shit today. Yeah, I think oh, I'm glad at least I was clear with my PhD topic because bloody hell, the rest of what I've been saying. <laughs> no, I think, <laughs> no, I think we needed to go through like just the foundation and get um, all that un- until we got to your PhD and understood yeah, yeah. what you're saying. But that's that's really cool, man. I, I'm, I'm I appreciate you having um, giving us your time and being on the podcast. No, it's been fun. Yeah, and it's a great the podcast is a great cause. You know, um, yeah, just hearing about how people get into science i thought it was great when you presented the thing and i thought oh gee i'd like to do that but you know i'm not an academic <laughs> no, you but, well you take phd students too yeah. awesome so I, I mean i just i honestly i love talking about what i'm doing a lot yeah. of academics uh you know a lot of people are afraid to talk to people yeah um but i honestly i love nothing more than people you know actually listening to like what i'm studying because yeah. i love it and I, yeah. and I love talking so yeah, Dude, yeah I, thank you no my pleasure yeah that's the thing um i think people don't understand like you have doing a PhD. You have to love what you're doing. Well, most people, yeah. yeah. And so, um, like, I was at a party the other day, and my friend was asking me. She's like, "Do you get sick of people asking you about science?" Shit? I'm like, "No, man. <laughs> like, you don't understand. This is like my cocaine. <laughs> this is why. This is why I live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ask me more questions. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I can keep going. Yeah. I just like I go to parties and I just tell people about my PhD. That's how I. That's how I go to parties nowadays. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> That's how I make friends. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's how cool. I annoy my friends. No, no. <laughs> Thank you, Gareth. I appreciate it, man. Thank you.